Good evening, it's six o'clock and you're listening to Newswire. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien, here to take you through all the latest in news and current affairs. On today's show, DCU has become the first university in Ireland to recognise the jam card. But what is it and what will it mean for students? The results of election 2020 were announced on Monday. And while the parties continued their talks to decide who will form the next government, we take a look at the North Dublin constituencies to see who you have elected to represent you in the 33rd Dáil. The 92nd Academy Awards took place on Monday night. We'll see who won big, who lost out and who were the biggest surprises. We will be looking at the European Green Deal, what it is, what it means for Ireland and how likely we are to meet the targets. And after Brexit finally taking place last week, we look at their final speeches in the European Parliament in Strasbourg and how the EU27 reacted. But first, we have our six o'clock news bulletin. A ban on the sale and supply of single-use plastic containers, utensils and bottles used in takeaways could be brought in by Dunleary Rathdown County Council. A bylaw on single-use plastics has been put forward by Finnegal Councillor and Barrister Barry Ward. If brought in, the council would become the first local authority to introduce the ban. The draft bylaw states that it'll be an offence for any person to sell or otherwise supply a single-use plastic takeaway product. The draft is to set to be put forward for public consultation soon, with an official date not yet confirmed. Anyone who doesn't abide by this law could receive a fine of up to €500. People in Dublin have the fifth longest average commuting time in the European Union, according to new research. The average daily commute in Dublin is almost one hour compared to less than 45 minutes in the rest of the country. The four cities with the longest average commute times are Budapest, Paris, Amsterdam and London, with the average commute in Budapest and Paris close to 70 minutes. Eurofound, which carries out pan-European surveys, compiled the commuting times as part of an analysis of the 2016 European Quality of Life Survey. Despite commuting times generally being lower in capital cities, residents still rate the quality of public transport higher than the population in the rest of the country, highlighting that greater connectivity and a choice available in urban areas. The research found that, as well as typically having longer commute times, urban residents are more likely to report environmental problems, such as a lack of access to recreational or green areas, litter, noise and traffic congestion. However, they generally report on overall better quality of life and higher life satisfaction. Health ministers from across Europe are holding an emergency meeting in Brussels today to discuss measures to control the coronavirus. Health Minister Simon Harris will be among the ministers attending the meeting. There are no confirmed cases of the coronavirus or COVID-19 in Ireland, but a number of people have been confirmed in the UK. Speaking in advance of the meeting, Harris said, There are no cases of coronavirus in Ireland, but we remain vigilant. The National Public Health Emergency Team is covering and providing direction and expert advice across the health service and the wide public service on the response to COVID-19. In a guide to recognising the virus, the Department of Health said it can take 14 days to develop and can lead to symptoms such as coughing, shortness of breath and fever. On Garda Chiacana has warned members of the public to be aware of romance fraud ahead of St Valentine's Day tomorrow. In 2019, 75 cases of so-called romance fraud were reported to the Garda. The victims were both male and female. The total losses suffered were in excess of €1 million. This particular fraud is enabled via online dating sites or other social media platforms. 
They said victims develop online relationships with the fraudsters who use fake identities, photographs and life stories. Inevitably, the fraudster will ask their victim for money. The fraudster will continue to ask for money until the victim has no more money to give or realise they are being conned. And finally, the St. Patrick's Festival Parade... or. Sorry. The St. Patrick's Festival this year will take place from the 13th to the 17th of March, ending with a parade expected to bring almost half a million people to Dublin city centre. The National St. Patrick's Festival is aiming to celebrate the country's heritage, showing both contemporary and traditional Ireland over the five-day period. There will be different family and outdoor events, as well as collaborative and musical performances. The St. Patrick's Day Parade will also, of course, be taking place as usual starting at 12pm on Tuesday the 17th of March. A four-day festival, village and food market at Merrion Square will also be taking place throughout the week. This will involve shows, Kayleys, children's reading, live music, a food village, among other activities and events. Now, taking a look at what's going on in the papers today. The biggest story here on campus and in the College View is that the cost of DCU campus accommodation is set to increase by 4% for the academic year 2020 to 2021. This is according to the Chief Operations Officer, Declan Raftery. It comes after it was announced that UCD would be increasing the cost of their student accommodation by 4% every year for the next three years. Trinity College Dublin's Finance Committee are also set to discuss the proposition of increasing on-campus rents by 4% according to documents acquired by the University Times. The price increase here in DCU follows a three-year refurbishment investment programme of €3.8 million Euro in DCU student residences, with a further €1.6 million Euro refurbishment programme set to take place. So, purpose-built student accommodation, such as DCU campus accommodation, has fallen under the Residential Tenancies Bill, rent caps, since July 2019. These caps do not allow for rent increases of more than 4% yearly, meaning DCU have decided to increase on-campus accommodation by the highest amount legally possible. Under this bill, as long as the rent increase is of 4% or lower, there is no limit to the number of years the rent can continue to increase for. So, currently, the cost of a single room in Hampstead is €6,252 for the academic year. This will increase to €6,502 for the next academic year. And for the already more expensive College Park Superior Apartments, prices will increase from €7,001 to €7,281. So, while 4% is not a huge jump on its own, it's definitely significant to note that all of the student accommodations are looking to increase their prices by the maximum amount, maximum amount they are legally entitled to. It is also significant that, like UCD, DCU can decide to continue this four-year increase year on year. However, they are yet to say if the increases will continue beyond 2021. Now, moving on, DCU has become the first university in Ireland to introduce the JAM card, the card which aims to help people with disabilities who need just a minute is intended to ease the burden of everyday activities for people with hidden disabilities. Corinza Rock reports. The JAM card. 
The Jam Card is designed for people with autism, acquired brain injury, a learning difficulty or any hidden disability. People who suffer with communication barriers often are unable to tell people about their condition. This new card allows people to inform them that they need a minute to continue on with their business. Along with DCU, the Jam Card is also recognised on public transport services such as Bus Erin, Irish Rail, Lewis and the Dublin Bus. I spoke with the Director of Student Support and Development, Claire Bowen, in DCU to find out more about the Jam Card. So can you just start off with telling me what the Jam Card is and who it will affect? Because this is what I have. 
universities will roll out this initiative as well? I, I'd be really surprised if they didn't. So we are the first in the country and so although it's been up north for a number of years we actually beat all the northern universities here. Um, so in Ireland now the Republic we're the first to roll out I'd be very surprised if the other institutions because we're all watching each other to see what good ideas we have to make you know, the team experience better. Um, I, I think being the first also friendly it was great that we were able to be the first university to recognise the jam card because it just fits in exactly with what we want to do with that initiative. So currently in the Republic, uh, the transit system has taken it on. It's also been rolled out to Apple Green stations around the country. Uh, AIB are about to launch it. So it's taking a foothold slowly but surely. So yeah, I'd be shocked if they didn't. The jam card will be available in disability and learning support offices at student advice centres and through the Autism Friendly Coordinator on both the St. Patrick and Glasnevin campuses in DCU. Okay, Carenza. So after speaking with Claire Bohan, how useful do you think this jam card is going to prove to be on DCU campus? From speaking with her, I do think it will be very effective. And um, from what I gathered from it, it's if students just get into a situation where they do need a minute where they're in the library if they're taking out a book or if they're buying a coffee and they show this card it just shows the people that these they need a minute just to gather themselves and I do think it would be really effective. I know she did mention um, that if you're in the library and you need help finding a book or taking out a book that you can use it in those instances. Now I know when I started here in DCU and I went to the library first, I didn't have a clue how the system worked. I have no learning disabilities. I have no jam card. But that service was already provided to me. So do you think will it actually add anything in services or are people already doing these things? I think it will add in particular in the fact that the staff have been trained to deal with situations if someone does show the card that they can handle it. So I do think that, yes, it it will be very effective for students who actually do need a bit of extra help. How aware are students that this actually exists, that they can avail of this? I know that was one thing I thought as well, but it has been greatly promoted on Twitter, on DCU's Facebook. They have links for the news article and things like us speaking about it on the show tonight. So I do hope students do realise that they can go and get the jam cards. They're available in offices across campus. So hopefully they do avail of it if they do need it. One thing that I actually thought was quite interesting when I was reading up about it is 
that anyone can actually go and avail of this jam card. Anyone can walk down to the likes of the help centre and pick one up. And they've kind of said that even though you might not necessarily have a learning disability, everyone has a bad day and everyone, do you know, could potentially struggle with their mental health on a given day or just be feeling pretty down. And in those instances, you are also entitled to use the jam card. Do you think, could it be abused? I don't think it will be abused by people in terms of, I don't know, maybe getting a few extra minutes to do something. I feel like it will be used by people who actually do need it. And it is quite nice, I think, that you don't have to go and prove anything to anyone. You just go, I want to avail this and they give it to you. I don't really think anyone would kind of have that idea to go, do you know what, I'll just use this card because, I mean, I feel like they wouldn't really gain an awful lot from it. I feel like the only people who will gain from it are the people who actually need it and actually go out and seek to use it. So I really don't think that it would be that much of an issue to be abused. And I feel like anyone who does abuse it, they'll be picked up straight away. I think it'd be very easy to tell who who genuinely needs that extra few minutes and needs the jam cart and who is kind of just taking it because they can. Um, I think that would be spotted pretty quickly by people who are like as the staff trained they'll see straight away that they're not really serious about this one thing that I would be somewhat concerned about is obviously on paper it seems like a really good idea that if people are struggling we are giving them the time to kind of go about their daily activities without being hassled but DCU was hailed as the first autism friendly university in Ireland back in March of twenty. 18 I think so when it got given the title as being an autism friendly university it hadn't actually carried out a lot of the steps that you would need to be considered autism friendly you get given the title for being open to making these measures so obviously Claire mentioned things like the sensory pods Um, they're meant to make kind of communication a little bit easier to provide quiet spaces for people who have autism but also a lot of these sensory pods that you see anybody is using them I mean any they're available to any student to go into so again when they were kind of when they got the title as being an autism university they didn't really have to do all that much more to keep the title just to be open to the idea of bringing in these measures. So there is maybe a possibility that the jam card will also kind of just sit there as another first for DCU, something that we can claim to have while maybe not doing all that much about it. Well, I think the fact that when they were given the title, they were open to it, but DCU have proven that they have implemented things to to, um, honour that title. So I think it is brilliant. They have the sensory pods, the jam card, um, etc. But I know it probably can be a bit abused, but I think the fact that DCU have taken these steps to implement them is a great start and really will help students as well. Okay, well, hopefully DCU keeps making strides to make the university a more inclusive place for all students. Up next, a Green Party councillor has become the first ever Green candidate to be elected to the Dáil for the Dublin Central constituency. Nessa Horgan, who was elected to Dublin City Council for the first time in just May last year, took the second seat in the constituency, which grew from a three-seater to a four-seater this election. Sinn Féin President Mary Lou Macdonald topped the poll in the constituency with 11,223 first preference votes, almost double the required quota. 
while Fine Gael candidate Pascal Donoghue had the second largest first preference vote, Horgan overtook him on transfers to exceed the quota on the final count. Horgan led a campaign with a strong green message that also aimed to tackle the organisational issues contributing to our social housing crisis. When I qualified as an architect, um, there was still serious you know, institutional knowledge inside in local authorities. You'd have four or five architects, you'd have quantity surveyors, you'd have project managers, you, you, know, you, ha- you had a team there. What we do now is that we have maybe a city architect and a couple of people inside in the local authority, and then they're contracting out the work, and we're spending huge amounts of money on fees and contracts, and we don't have the institutional knowledge. And when it comes to building yep. houses, the on-the-ground local authority knowledge of where the houses are needed and when you need them and how you need them are really, really important. Horgan said she is now hoping to bring a new focus on persons with disabilities and carers in the next stall. Yeah. Mine is 37, my oldest um, is registered as blind um, and she would be a white cane user and a braille user and is also hard of hearing um, and would have a, a number of other complications and I'm hoping in, in the doll mm-hmm. to um, bring a new focus on that and an extra focus on that, not just for persons with disabilities but also for carers because I had to take a step back from a job and a profession that I really, really loved. I was an architect and a lecturer in sustainable development um, and took a step back for a couple of years and, and kind of felt the pressure that's on carers and the isolation of being a carer you know and and I'm hoping that that I can bring some focus on that. Donoghue reclaimed his seat in the constituency without reaching the quota along with Social Democrats candidate Gary Gannon who was elected to the Dáil for the first time after sitting on Dublin City Council since 2014. Elsewhere in Dublin Bay North Sinn Féin candidate Denise Mitchell was elected on the first count after receiving 21,344 first preference votes, the highest first preference vote of any candidate in the country. With Sinn Féin claiming 37 seats in the 33rd Dáil, just one less than Fianna Fáil on 38 seats, Mitchell said it was clear on the doors that people wanted change. Fine Gael candidate Richard Bruton also reclaimed his seat, reaching the quota on the 10th count. As the votes of Richard Bruton exceed the quota, I deem him to be elected. <laughs> Social Democrats Deputy Keen O'Callaghan is the only first-time TD elected in this constituency. It comes as part of a surge for the party who are only five years old as they tripled their number of seats from three to six in this election. Labour's Aidan O'Reardon regained his seat in the Dáil without reaching the quota in Dublin Bay North after previously serving as a TD for Dublin North Central from 2011 to 2016. Fianna Fáil's Sean Hawhey also reclaimed his seat without reaching the quota. And in Dublin Fingal, Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly took the first seat, exceeding the quota by more than 5,000 votes on the first count. Green Party candidate Joe O'Brien took the second seat only two months after he was first elected to the Dáil in the Dublin Fingal by-election. Fianna Fáil's Dara O'Brien, who was elected on the first count back in 2016, had to wait until count eight to secure his seat this time around. Fine Gael's Alan Farrell also regained his seat and Deputy Duncan Smith was elected to the Dáil for the first time after he first contested a seat in the Dublin Fingal by-election at the end of last year. With seat distribution in the 33rd Dáil significantly changed 
and traditional smaller parties taking a much larger proportion of the votes, Sinn Féin's president, Mary Lou Macdonald, said significant political change is underway and agreed that this is a revolution in Irish politics. However, with no party having enough seats to make up a government on their own, it remains to be seen what combination of parties will make up our next government. Fianna Fáil's Michal Martin has said that he does not want to go into government with Sinn Féin. However, he is also ruling out any possibility of a coalition with Fine Gael. We will not be entering into a grand coalition. The people want change. It's very clear the message we're receiving. People want change in this country. They want Fine Gael out of office. I've made it very clear. We want to go into government uh, with other centre parties. Clearly the Labour and Green parties are the ones that we would be interested in going into government with. Um, and uh, that is our very clear position. That is our position. Fine Gael need to come out of government. They've been there too long. They haven't delivered on the key issues such as housing, health and the impact of, of costs, um, you know, in, in, in cost of living on so many people. Sinn Féin's Mary Lou Macdonald says they will find it very difficult to form a government without Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, but have made it clear that their preference would be Fianna Fáil if they are unable to get enough small parties and independents on board for a rainbow coalition. Micheál Martin has said that he is a Democrat, that he listens to the people, that he respects the decisions of the people, and he knows that people want change. So can Fianna Fáil be part of that change? That is the big question. And that is the question. Will the party's negotiations to figure out a coalition agreement for the 33rd Dáil be successful? Or will the country be forced to take to the polls again? Up next, we will be looking back at the 92nd Academy Awards. Jenny Keegan reports. The 92nd Academy Awards took place on Sunday the 1st of February in Hollywood. As with every award show, the ceremony had its ups and downs. The winner of Best Film for the very first time went to a non-English language film, which was a South Korean film, Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho. The film also picked up Best Director, International Feature Film and Original Screenplay. Bong Joon-ho had several notable moments during his many acceptance speeches, including paying tribute to his directing heroes Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino. Thank you so much. When I was young and studying cinema, there was a saying that I carved deep into my heart, which is the most personal is the most creative. That quote was from uh, our great Martin Scorsese. So. <laughs> he gained even more fans when he told the audience without help from his translator. Thank you, and yeah, I'm ready, ready to drink tonight. So. <laughs> Another moment from the Oscars was before the ceremony had even begun. Natalie Portman paid homage to the female directors that were left out of the Best Director category by having their names embroidered onto her outfit that she wore to the ceremony. A heartwarming moment was when Laura Dern, who won Best Supporting Actress for her role in Marriage Story, made a sweet speech thanking her parents. And you know, some say, never meet your heroes, but I say if you're really blessed, you get them as your parents. I share this with my acting heroes, my legends, Diane Ladd and Bruce Dern. (laughs) You got game. I love you. Thank you all for this gift. This is the best birthday present ever. The strangest part of the night was arguably the surprise performance by Eminem, who performed his song, Lose Yourself, which won Best Song in the 2003 Oscars. 
The performance received mixed reviews from viewers and people such as Martin Scorsese and Adina Menzel were seen pulling faces during the performance. The Oscars was watched by 23.6 million viewers in the US alone. Okay, so um, the Oscars was on Sunday, but something that came up on it was uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who won um, Best Actor for Joker, uh, used his speech to uh, give a voice to the voiceless and mentioned racism, gender equality and animal rights, among others. So I was wondering, what do we think about celebrities using kind of the Oscars or any kind of award show as a platform for promoting their own worldviews or political statements? I think it can be a good thing for them to do. I definitely think it's important for celebrities to have a voice. Um, Often people will argue that it's not warranted, that they're not educated on the subject. So therefore, they shouldn't be kind of proclaiming their views at the top of the chapel. But to the same extent, they do have a platform. They do have a large following and they can get across a very strong and important political message. I think we do have to be careful, though, with how far we allow it to go. It's definitely okay to get up there and proclaim a certain type of political view that's sort of backed up. But to be singling out kind of groups and saying, oh, well, you're doing it wrong. If you're not vegan, then you shouldn't exist. You don't deserve to be here. You have to be vegan. We can't kind of we can't live this way. It is very unfair to kind of single out this group of people and sort of almost attack them just because they're not following your set of political views. So I definitely think it's okay to get up there and say, look, our climate is in crisis. We need to be doing something about it. And these are ways that you can do something. But to expect everyone to be on the exact same page, it's it's always going to be impossible. So I think maybe to give people more options, you can do something, take a little step, as opposed to telling people that they have to go the whole whole country mile and scaring people off from the offset. So do you think it comes down to what they're speaking about? Like what topic? You mentioned climate change. So Leonardo DiCaprio won his Oscar um, in 2017 and he talked about climate change and how we all have to do our part and how the government has to do their part to kind of help change the climate crisis that we're in at the moment and he was very highly commended for that. Now Wacky on the other hand he went down a different route he started talking about veganism and animal rights in terms of how we procure dairy and those kind of things and he got a lot of flack for it because people were saying how dare you tell us what we can and cannot eat so does it really come down to following on from your point Eva, what they're actually talking about that some topics are okay and some topics you should never go near i don't think necessarily that it's that a topic is taboo but when leonardo dicaprio spoke about climate change in his speech it was very broad and sweeping statements. He didn't make any claims that this is what you had to do. He simply told people that they had to do something. Now, you can argue that that won't have a huge amount of effect. We've all told the government that they should be doing something and maybe without giving them a rigid plan, that doesn't happen. But it's definitely much easier to take in and to tolerate. If someone's just telling you to do something, it's a lot less aggressive than saying you must stop eating meat now. So I think a lot of it is the approach that they take. I don't know if I can say that one is necessarily right or wrong because perhaps Wacky Mun's kind of approach, while it is more pointed, that it will have more effect. But I do think it's easier for people to take if it's kind of a less pointed, less aggressive message. 
I mentioned earlier that Natalie Portman uh, subtly protested the lack of female directors who were nominated in that category. There were no female directors uh, nominated at all. But she wore um, a dress that had the names of the actors, of the directors that should have been nominated in her eyes embroidered onto it. And in one hand, she again received lots of people commending her, thinking it was great. And then the other side of it was she received backlash because people were calling her a hypocrite because she has her own production company. And so far, she has only hired one female director, which is herself. So I was just wondering, do you think that these gestures of like getting the names onto the top are too like performative and too into making the statement? Or are people just looking for something else to give out about yet again about a celebrity? A lot of it, I think, is for the celebrity's own benefit. Natalie Portman, I don't know the woman, but... If she's not hiring female directors, how strongly does she really feel about that subject? But if she turns up wearing this gown with all their names embroidered on it, and if people don't dig too deep, then she is hailed as being this iconic feminist who is championing all our rights. But I think a lot of it is just to get their name in lights because there are much more subtle ways of kind of making that change if she was simply hiring female directors and she wouldn't have to shout from the rooftops about it she could simply hire them and very subtly and quietly make a much stronger impact than turning up covered in people's names and to what end it didn't do anything about it I mean to an extent you have to respect the Academy's kind of grounds to nominate whomever they wish for the award. It didn't change who got the award. People have done things like it before and it hasn't changed the way in which the Academy are nominating people. But if people like Natalie Portman aren't hiring female directors, then maybe the pool of female directors just isn't that big. And while there are certainly very talented ones out there, if you have a much larger male pool of directors to pick from, then you're always going to have a much larger male candidacy. That's dead right. And also, like with the Oscars, like obviously there are two sides to every coin. So one, on one hand, people will say you can't use it for political statements. In other hands, you can. But I'm sure lots more Oscars in the future will have many political statements that we can uh, go through in the future. The European Green Deal is a set of policy initiatives brought forward by the European Commission with the aim of making Europe climate neutral by 2050. Reporter Anya O'Boyle speaks to MEP Kieran Cuff about how realistic these chain, these targets are for Ireland, and how report and reporter Sonia Tutti asks MEPs how Ireland's approach needs to change, and if European Commission is on target to set an example to other European countries by becoming carbon neutral by 2030. With the Irish general election taking place this weekend, I ask Green Party MEP Kieran Cuff. If it's realistic for Ireland to become carbon neutral by 2050, in keeping with its current track record? Uh, not in keeping with its current record and, and we've often pointed out that uh, Ireland has been a laggard and not a leader on climate change and uh, I think it, it really exposes the Fine Gael's greenwashing uh, rather than substance to green issues. I don't think they get it. I, I don't think Leo Varadkar gets it. I think Richard Bruton does to a certain degree. Uh, and then people like Simon Coveney, um, they just get uh, captured by the industries that they represent. Going back to the substantial question, 
I think we can be carbon zero. I think we have to be to stop really the worst of, of climate change. Uh, and it's a real challenge in every sector. And I always look at four main sectors, energy, transport, agriculture, construction. Uh, my own background, I'm an architect, I'm a planner. I understand transport, I understand construction and indeed energy. And I think in those sectors we can do it. The European Parliament voted on their new Green Deal last month. So I asked Green Party MEP Grace O'Sullivan what Ireland needs to focus on to help improve our approach to climate change. So we want to make sure that the Just Transition Fund, so the European uh, Investment Bank, the investing agencies, the public funds, so that uh, people who are already disadvantaged uh, are not going to suffer more. But having never met our previous target, Fine Gael MEP Sean Kelly was asked who needs to be in government so that Ireland can finally be on track with the EU. Oh, Fine Gael, of course. Yeah. <coughs> I think, in fairness, most parties in Ireland would probably be agreeing to try and reach targets. They don't try to say that. we signed up to them. So, well, you signed up to the other targets and none of them were met either. I would say Sinn Féin would probably sign up to them. That might have a different way of doing it, but I couldn't see them saying, sorry, we don't believe in climate change, so our government is not going to reach the targets. But if we did that, I could be cut off from funding in Europe. Aside from change in Ireland, the European Commission stated it would aim to be carbon zero by 2030 as an example to European countries. However, independence for change, Claire Daly and Mick Wallace, are doubtful. Not based on what we see. Well, well I mean, look, I mean, they're obviously better than you know, Australia and America and stuff like, you know, I mean, they, they're not the worst, you know, but they do need to do more and they're way in hot to the industry and subsidise, so, you know, they should need to be doing way more dramatic stuff. There are good people here. Are they going to be able to deliver? I don't know. There's definitely a, a change in mindset around the environment. Up to now, financial matters have been prioritised over the interest of the planet. Europeans uh, are better than most uh, in the sense that I mean, we, we're probably only responsible for 9% of CO2 today. But, I said that, uh, we have the French, German and English miners uh, all over Africa and uh, rotten the place grind. And the biggest challenge in dealing with the climate crisis is uh, the just transition. So while significant change is needed across the board, the current shift in priorities and mindsets on climate change paints a hopeful future. Sonia Tuddy, DCU Newswire. Now that Brexit is official and that Britain has divorced the EU, Tygwin Nally looks back at their final speeches in the European Parliament in Strasbourg and how the EU27 reacted. Almost four years on from 2016's divisive referendum, the withdrawal agreement has finally passed through the European Parliament. There were both scenes of delight and despair with the Brexit Party MEP Nigel Farage giving quite a show. It is globalism against populism. And you may loathe populism, but I tell you a funny thing, it's becoming very popular. (laughs) And it has great benefits. No more financial contributions. No more European Court of Justice. No more common fisheries policy. No more being talked down to. No more being bullied. No more Guy Verhofstadt. I mean, I mean, what's not to like? As he wrapped up his speech, he began, alongside party members, to wave the British flag. Although not before he was quickly cut off by Maureen McGuinness. If you disobey the rules, you get cut off. Could we please remove the flags? 
Sinn Féin MEP and general election candidate Matt Carthy outlined his concerns for people on both sides of the border post-Brexit. But the fact remains that from this weekend, one part of Ireland will be in the EU while the other part will operate outside. And the complications that come with that are yet to be told. The future trading relationship between Britain and the EU could yet create unprecedented difficulties for the Irish economy and vulnerable sectors, particularly agriculture. Fine Gael MEP Sean Kelly also expressed his concerns, but not for Irish citizens, but for the younger generation in the UK who have been taken from the EU against their will. But I am conscious that the young people of the United Kingdom did not want to leave. And for that reason, when their day comes, it is very likely they will decide to come back into the European Union. So instead of saying Sloan or goodbye, I say Abiento, big falter, rove, arash. As the voting ended and the results were announced, MEPs from all across Europe stood in linked arms as they sang off their British colleagues many still hoping that they would one day return to the European Union. That's all we have time for this evening. I've been your host, Aoife O'Brien. I'm Ginny Keegan. And I'm Cranza Rock. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to keep up to date with all the latest news. And we'll be back here again next Thursday at 6. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your evening.